1: The environment is challenging. There's still opportunities in that environment because there's not a lot of well-positioned Russian groups right now with an appetite to grow.
0: The restaurant industry has never been easy, and the past few years of the pandemic have made that doubly true. But some innovators see it as an
1: opportunity to grow. We have an unparalleled commitment to uh, driving long-term success through guest experience, which I think it's the way that will ultimately win the game.
0: Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. And over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. At a time when many restaurants are cutting back on what they offer guests, the One Group is raising the bar in terms of the dining experience they're delivering, and in the process, positioning themselves for incremental success. My guest today is Manny Hilario, CEO of the One Group and longtime friend of ICR. The One Group is a global hospitality company that develops and operates upscale and polished casual, high-energy restaurants and lounges. Their two primary restaurant brands are STK and Kona Grill, where they aspire to be the global leader in vibe dining, a unique combination of casual, upscale lounge and restaurant experiences. They trade under the symbol STKS. Manny joined The One Group as a board member in April of 2017, and in October of 2017, he became president and CEO. Prior to that, he was CFO of Sizzling Platter and was COO in Einstein Noah Restaurant Group. Manny began his career at McDonald's, where he held various financial roles in the company. On this episode, we talked about The One Group's bold approach to hospitality, their growth strategy, and of course, their unique vibe dining concept that is setting them apart from the competition. Let's enter the arena with Manny Hilario.
1: The restaurant space, as you know, uh, has many operators. They all aspire to provide high-quality dining experiences. Uh, they all have a, a super high commitment to great food, great service, and providing a good environment for the guests. Vibe Dining is an elevation of that. It's really an experiential view on dining, which means we provide all of that to which you would get in a fine dining or a, a polished casual dining environment. However, we put extra care into setting up an environment where it's just a little bit higher level and it's you feel uh, immersed into the experience. So that's why the music, the lighting, the interaction with the staff is super critical, as well as we uh, have uh, fantastic bar programs Uh, with very compelling drinks and we try to utilize your visit to the restaurant to uh, also get you involved with our bar program so it's a combination of all that but at the easiest way of remembering it is that once you're in vibe dining the experience is memorable and you will walk out of there wanting to do it again so it's kind of uh, uh, what i consider to be the highest level of dining possible because it's off craveable it's off energy it's off having lots of fun in the environment
0: for those that don't know STK or, or Kona, are the customers of the two brands interchangeable or is it a little bit different?
1: STK is in the steakhouse group and it all starts with great steak. So we believe that we have one of the best steak programs in in America and frankly in the world, super high quality steak. So we position ourselves as a steakhouse uh, with a vibe component. And then the Kona Grill brand, we position ourselves as a a great American grill, meaning great seafood, great steak. And then really what makes Kona Grill stand out is the commitment to the bar. All the restaurants have a magnificent bar where we've put emphasis on great cocktail programs as well as a great happy hour program. And since we've taken over the brand at one group, we've really emphasized the energy in the bar and and music and the uh, engagement between our staff and and the bar customers. So, what's really unique about then the Kona Grill is that. And then on top of all of that, as the cherry, uh, on Kona Grill is we do have a very unique uh, sushi program. So you get the best of an American grill, with all the the regular fare. But then we have sushi, which is uh, frankly something that people uh, love to go out for, particularly. Uh, we think that uh, we skew heavily on the female demographic on that part of the program. Probably our most direct competitors will be uh, groups like Hillstone uh, by the Houston's a brand, which brings in the same kind of elevated grill and upscale, polished, casual feel to the dining experience, except we believe that we'll bring an added value with our energy into the program.
0: How many STKs do you have here kind of domestically and internationally, and how about Kona?
1: Yeah, so we, we just opened our uh, 25th uh, STK. Uh, we're super excited about that. We opened.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you, sir. We, we opened Dallas last week. And previously to that, we opened San Francisco. So two fantastic flagships. As a matter of fact, we just announced in our earnings call that San Francisco uh, had been averaging about $350,000 a week in volume, which makes it a, a an extraordinary high volume restaurant in the restaurant space it's, it itself. And then Dallas is in a fantastic location in that market, and uh, we've been very pleased with that. And then we have actually another SDK opening this weekend in London, so we'll we'll have opened three SDKs within a 90-day period. So we're super excited about the velocity of that opening schedule. And going into next year, we have three more planned. We have Charlotte, and then we also have Boston and Washington D.C. Obviously. As you can tell from the cities that we're going into, our strategy there is to try to get to all the big top 25 DMAs because the brand is extremely hot right now and the volumes have been extraordinary. So we're really trying to close out uh, the big DMAs. Kona Grill, we have 24 Kona Grills right now. We have three of them actually all under construction, somewhere between 50 and 85% complete. So we, we will be bringing... Those three new Kona Grills online uh, in January, February, and March of next year. So super excited about the growth here. Um, And as you start putting these numbers against our bases, uh, it's double-digit unit growth for both brands. And then Kona Grill, after our run in the first quarter, we also have three other Kona Grills that we plan to open in the back end of 2023. So we'll be taking Kona Grill up to 30 units here within the next, uh, call it 15 months.
0: Given the current environment, you know, as we sit here in November of 22 with inflation and input costs, are you feeling good about kind of the ROI expectations for new development? Is that relatively in the range of kind of prior numbers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, obviously the environment is about as challenging as we've seen from an operations perspective. We have pressures on all the input costs into the business and, and obviously the the big question now is, what is the impact to the consumer? Uh, so far, our observation has been that the consumer has been spending, and particularly the high-end consumer, which we attract lots of them with both brands, seems to be more re- resilient and and continue to you know spend. So we, we feel that our exposure to consumer is actually at an elevated level of consumer that helps you through environments like this. So uh, we feel very good about that. As a matter of fact, we actually see A trend where the high-end consumers are actually trading up to premium products. Said a little differently, if you have products that are highly differentiated, for instance, we just finished our lobster promotion with all kinds of preparations in lobster, and we're rolling into our Wagyu holiday program, we've noticed that the consumers voluntarily want to go there. And so when I think of a a Wagyu steak, we're looking at a, a six ounce steak that may cost $250. I mean, the reality is that the high-end consumer will go there. And uh, we have various restaurants that will run out of Wagyu just because there's that much demand for uh, that product. So I do think, again, although uh, the environment is challenging, there's still opportunities in that environment. And obviously, we also see a, a big window of opportunity in real estate just because there's not a lot of well-positioned restaurant groups right now with an appetite to grow. So I think that we're, we're well-positioned there because we are interested in growth. We do know that if we can navigate through the current environment and position ourselves with a fantastic portfolio of restaurants, that we will be well positioned for the recovery cycle. And we plan to do very well in that recovery cycle at some time in the future.
0: This isn't a niche, really. Like You have a big, total addressable market around the world with both STK and Kona. Can you Tell us the total addressable market 10 years down the road. How many units could we be talking about here?
1: So very good question. STK is an international global brand. We think that it's a 200-unit opportunity, and we've always been conservative there. So we, we think that there's actually more than that. But just for conversation's sake, that's that's pretty big, considering that the average volume is around 300,000 volume a week. So that's a that's a pretty big market for that brand. And then Kona Grill, we think there's 200 opportunities and those are all domestic, so it's a domestic opportunity for us. And then Kona Grill uh, also gives us a, a nice spot in the domestic markets where we can go to uh, sub one million population markets and we think that the Kona Grill We'll do very well in, in those markets. So we do have a, if you will, a great Russian concept for big market and we have a great Russian concept for smaller markets as we wish to grow them. Although STK has high price points, actually if you look at our menus and the, the way that we position the brand, we also have very accessible price points for almost every consumer to play in. So think of our $3, $6, $9 happy hour program, as well as our entry price point into the premium category of steaks is only $49. So we do provide uh, lots of value in there. And and for lunch program, for instance, we do $9.99 cheeseburgers and we do a $19.99 uh, six ounce filet. So although we like to play in the premium price category, we have actually engineered the brand uh, where we provide a little bit of everything for everyone to play in. And then uh, don't forget uh, the brunch program that we've launched about a year ago, uh, which also has tremendous entry price points into both brands. So so again, we do like to play and, and get the premium dollars, but we're certainly uh, very accessible to all consumers. And one of the reasons why we believe that our growth plan and our, our growth objectives are very uh, le- legitimately achievable
0: certainly around the world with SDK, you have a huge runway. One of my business partners was spotted in Ibiza this summer, and uh, I believe he uh, contributed to uh, quarterly results. Let's just leave it at that. Switching gears, Manny, I see that analysts write about the business as asset light. What does that mean? Are you company-owned in every unit, or do you have partnerships or franchises, or how does does that work?
1: So right now, we have been doing company-owned stores, but as I look out in the future, particularly for the SDK brand, we see a mix of restaurants where we're majorly uh, licensed uh, properties and management properties, which means that uh, we license the brand to someone and then we operate the restaurants for them. So we get into SDKs without having to lay out costs or build the property. So that's a very uh, advantageous business model because we're able to grow the brand without having to deploy The high costs of building restaurants, and the reason that the brand is very licensable and we can manage it is because people love the brand. They go into one of our SDKs, and they, uh, you know, if you're a high wealth or individual who have money and want to have one in your portfolio, well, you can get a a license deal with us, and then we manage the restaurant for you. So you do get the best of both worlds. You get the SDK run our way, meaning that it's a very well-run SDK. And then you as the owner of the property can say that you do own an SDK. So it's a very good you know, model for net, you know, high net worth individuals. And then the second part of that is hotel properties like to add F&B in restaurants that are net attractors. People actually come to the hotel and stay at the hotel on Saturdays and Friday nights because they wanna have the vibe dining experience at SDK. So we become an amenity and a way for our hotel partners to drive uh, higher room rates because we give them access to the SDK with a room night, which is seen as a great amenity by lots of the consumers in these international markets and domestic. For the
0: one group, Third quarter is seasonally soft, but this year they're heading into the holiday season with momentum. Manny told me about what they're seeing in their restaurants as people start to gather again for the first time in a few years.
1: I mean, I I think my experience and our experience so far has been that offices are definitely back in the city, and particularly on Tuesdays through Thursdays, we have seen a lot more people in suits in the restaurants. And it's also an interesting phenomenon, which is uh, those business individuals have missed each other. So we do see see uh, a lot of people not only just gathering, but gathering for a longer time period than they historically have. So that the, both those trends bode very well for us because we're getting the visits and then we get them to spend when they're with us. So uh, we've been very pleasantly surprised by the robustness of that business coming back. And then you're, you're also now seeing lots of business conferences. So think of cities like Denver, and uh, San Diego and Orlando, you're starting to see the, the return of the midsize convention business. So that's been a, a very good additional layer of revenue for us. And so so that's that's been positive. And then last thing that we've been seeing is lots of more demand for holiday parties. So we have lots of people uh, who wanna bring the office together for the holidays. And then last year, as a comparison, December was the beginning of Omicron, if you will, kind of the beginning of December. So there was a lot of cancellations and lots of people who decided that they did not want to have the holiday parties for a very good reason. So I think this year uh, from a comparative, uh, particularly December, should be a a good year-over-year comparative on that. And then we're also seeing some bookings into January. So lots of people don't want to get into the uh, event business in December. So we're starting to see a nice book uh, developing into the second and third week in January as well.
0: Yeah, I think people are going to like shoot the locks off this holiday season, right? Lamp on the head and the whole the whole nine yards. One of the things that that I've talked about with other guests in in different industries, Manny, is technology's role. You've been in the industry for so long. What's your take on technology? How do you approach it? What kind of things are you doing to make the experience uh, frictionless for for guests?
1: That's a fantastic question. So. The history of the industry is, is that it's been people dependent. And the reason that it's been a, a people dependent industry is because there has been an availability of the people to work in the in the industry. And the reality of is today, it's not there because either people, dis, you know, opted out of the industry because of their closeness to other people. And, uh, and the pandemic created a new paradigm of what that means from a, a safety perspective. So some people have opted out the second thing is there's been a lot of people particularly the more talented individuals in the industry are able to go to new industries because they're already uh, pretty well educated pretty well savvy in business so they've been able to go to other industries and get either higher pay uh, but bigger in- of importance to them is predictability of their lifestyle so what does that mean is that you know particularly for growth companies with us where we think that we we have a lot of white space and uh, we need to capture, we ha- we're introducing technology everywhere. And it's not just consumer facing technology, but it's kitchen technology. We have to reduce the size of the kitchens. We have to make the preparation of the products easier. Uh, so I would say within the last 18 months, uh, we have lots of projects that we're actively trying to use technology as an offset for people in the restaurants. Um, two years ago, you could get dishwashers on call. I mean, you could literally just put an ad out Uh, And get people to do that, but today you don't get people to who want to be dishwashers. So, I would say that the next five years would—I would say that the the industry uh, will transform in terms of the the way that they approach uh, operations with lots of more technology really playing a key role in the business, and that's everything from faster cooking technologies to. You know, just data processing technologies, payment processing technologies, uh, temperature measurement, et cetera, et cetera. I think everything uh, that is done in the restaurants will find some level of automation in the next five years.
0: Yeah. And innovation for every business is also key, not just technology. But I know you did a recent deal with Reef Kitchens. Maybe talk about that, even though it might not be a big part of the business today. Just another interesting avenue where you're taking the company.
1: Yeah, we clearly have seen successes in the industry with ghost kitchens and and, and Reef provide us an opportunity uh, to play in the ghost kitchen category without having to deploy massive amounts of capital. As a matter of fact, very little capital because it's a partnership.
0: W- what is a ghost kitchen?
1: Well, a ghost kitchen is basically a restaurant or a location that has a kitchen and you're able to prepare different products and market the brand without really having a physical presence as a restaurant typically would. So it's a, right. it's a fantastic way of sharing uh, kitchen uh, capacity and, and run multiple brands or even a single brand without having the cost of the real estate. But the view on it, obviously, uh, and why we, we like Reef is they're big. They have lots of kitchen opportunities and it's a great way for us to uh, put the brand and test the brand in markets where we don't have a presence with a restaurant. And we're not putting any capital behind it, other than intellectual um, and uh, the marketing that we're doing with them.
0: I think it's it's such a cool idea. And um, talking about like capital in today's environment, a lot of uncertainty. Maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the company's balance sheet and and your philosophy on capital allocation and how you're approaching that.
1: Yeah, I mean our philosophy is basically maximize our shareholders, um, you know, return. And so we're, we're very thoughtful about what we do with with, uh, with the money. So t- historically, uh, our emphasis has been, you know, growing new restaurants, reinvesting in the brand, uh, upkeeping our facilities. So that's where we've, we've deployed our, our capital. We're lucky to have cash in the last year and a half or two years. Uh, we have had that uh, ability to have that access to cash. So more recently, we've announced a share buyback just because, you know, with the conditions in the general market, we thought that was a good way Returning capital to our shareholders. So, so really, the point here being is that we have a pretty forward-thinking board that is always working with management in terms of making sure that uh, we're uh, putting capital where it needs to be. As a matter of fact, a year and a half ago, our growth was exclusively uh, license and management deals, and this year, or the last year and a half, we've gone back to opening company-owned stores just because. We're getting back our cash on some of these units in less than one year. So again, it goes back to how importantly our board and management views the returns where we very quickly decided, hey, let's go into the top 25 DMAs uh, because that's a, a very smart use of capital. We also acquired Kona Grill. At one point, uh, we thought we needed something to grow the middle markets or smaller markets, and Kona Grill was there. So uh, we utilize our capital to do a, a pretty positive acquisition for us. So so again, we're just always looking at it and we will do whatever we feel it's best for the shareholders, particularly in getting more value for their investment in our business.
0: In terms of your career, Manny, has there been any kind of big challenge that you faced along the way and how that kind of formulated your approach to leadership at the one group?
1: Yeah, I mean, so great question. Obviously, my fundamental, you know, uh, learning in the industry started at McDonald's. And, and frankly, uh, I was blessed to having actually started an operation. So I, I was blessed to work for a company that truly believes in execution. But I would say probably the two other experiences in my life that have been super important is when I, I joined Chart House back in the late 90s, early 2000s, as I walked into a company that had no money. So I learned how to, to be able to really uh, do a lot with very little. And I learned one of the most important concepts in my life, which is I never want to be in a situation where you run out of money. So it's kind of like one of those stories uh, that for the first six months, it really uh, taught me to be super disciplined and really think about the the, the long term. And then probably the, the most important experience in my life really has been the pandemic and going through uh, having a very successful set of restaurants to having to shut down everything within a 10-day window, and then what do you do with 5,000 employees that work with you, and how you go about managing that in in a good process. So that to me was a career event where I really learned what being challenged is in the restaurant space, which is having to shut down all your restaurants and try to figure out what you do next day. So I think those would be the three things, my McDonald's operational discipline, and then uh, not having cash. And being successful without cash. And then last but not least, how to handle an event like a pandemic. That would be the three things.
0: It's hard to imagine anything like going more wrong than the pandemic. But, you know, you never know, right? Never say never. Has there been anything in the industry, just broadly speaking, that surprised you lately? Anything that's kind of popped up that uh, you think is either new or different?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think probably the one thing I have uh, noticed is that the appetite for the industry to take pricing, I've never seen anything like that before. So it's one of those trends where uh, people, and, and I understand why the inflation is super high, so people have yeah. to uh, protect their, their business and their uh, and how they look at it, but there's been an appetite to take price increase on top of price increase. And, and I really wonder at what point there is a ceiling on that because some restaurants have, you know, improved margins by taking price, and uh, and in some cases a significant amount of price. So that's been a little bit of a, a what I consider to be a, a different trend in restaurants that we haven't seen before. And so we'll we'll see how that lends out. And then probably uh, the other thing that I sensed in the in the industry that's different today is that companies' alignment with guest experience is a little different. In the past people would think of experience and making sure that the customer got the best they could within the four walls. I think there's a lot more restaurant companies today that have oversimplified their models. They've taken items out of the menus. And so they're taking lots of pricing. And then when the customer comes into their operation, they almost ask for excuse for not providing uh, a good uh, a, a good experience or, or a limited experience. So. Uh, It's been a very interesting environment where pricing has really taken off uh, and I think the experience if nothing else is at at a standstill and it actually in some cases actually gone to a negative position. So at the One Group one of the things that we really value is that our mission is to, to be the best restaurant in every market that we operate and we do that by delivering unforgettable exceptional experiences to every guest every time. And I think it's been interesting that even through the pandemic or at the heart of the pandemic, we still live that mission every day. So I think that's probably one of the big differentiators between the one group and any one of the other restaurant groups, in addition to believing in vibe dining, is that we have an unparalleled commitment to driving long term success through guest experience, which I think it's uh, the way that will ultimately win the game.
0: The ups and downs of the restaurant business aren't for the faint of heart, but for the one group, an aggressive and confident plan for growth and a concept that puts the guest experience first has had a huge payoff. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast, And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. Big thank you to Manny Hilario for being on the show today. His career has brought him through every kind of restaurant space and concept and really led him to innovate the dining experience at The One Group. Love having Manny on the show, and we'll definitely check in with him again down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena.